Do not dab in the studio. Do not. He cannot dab. I can dab. He is 39 years old. He cannot. I'm 32 years old. You are older than 14. You are not allowed to dab. Dab again. Dab again. The condensed dab. Welcome back to Crowdlings. I'm Justin. I'm Robbie. And I'm Bowden. And we're so excited to have Robin back. back. Yay. Did you have fun? Huh. What? <laughs> <laughs> what was that response? I she mean, had a blast. It must have been fun. You were in Chicago. It was a long week. For Triple AL. With very bad weather. Was it cold? It was very cold. It wasn't cold here. Was we talked dreary. about it. It was, I mean, the people were wonderful. The weather was dreary. I was at Triple AL. I was also at PCA. Did you see the bean? The big bean? I did not I have, have been to Chicago and I've never seen the big I bean. I, I did not have time it's to It's a great see city, bean. actually. I, actually I love went, it. I went down to Champagne as well, so I was, I was busy. Wow. Busy. Oh, Champagne. So, we are back with a brand new episode for you guys. Woo! And we're super excited about our guest. Our guest today is Sarah Steele. You, Sarah Steele. It's, a, it's like a Marvel character name. Yeah. Sarah Steele. Sarah Steele. Anyways, welcome, Sarah. Are you excited? I am very excited. Great. <laughs> Are you a little bit nervous? Are you just a little bit nervous? Just a little. No. Because superheroes keep their calm. Yeah, she's always calm. It's Sarah Steele. She's wonderful. And she's a very cute puppy. Anyways. I do have a cute puppy. I could talk about that all day. Oh, well, maybe we're going to get into that here in just a second. But stay tuned. We're going to be right back. And we're going to dive into Sarah Steele's life and her research, right? And hard-hitting questions. The hard-hitting questions and we will talk about that. As we mentioned before, we are very excited to have Sarah Steele. Sarah, Sarah Steele. Steel. <laughs> We're going to give you a theme song, just to let you know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it too. Uh, Sarah Steele joined us at UA this past year, graduating from UAB with her master's in pre-K through 12 Spanish and ESL education. And she's taught at Samford as well, Mm -hmm. um, in addition to UAB. Here at UA, she's planning to transition her research into more anthropological linguistics. Wow. Okay. Right? And we haven't had anybody from anthropological linguistics. We haven't. We have a very First small one. program. <laughs> and she is also, I'm very happy to announce, will be one of the coordinators for the Yay. basic Spanish language program next year. That's Correct? awesome. Very yes. nice. Yes. Very impressive. She's just taking UA by storm. She's like... She's Sarah Steele. She's Sarah Steele. <laughs> it's her first year. She's already become a super awesome leader and you can't see right now, but Bowden and Robbie will not stop making superhero poses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really it's a little excited. bit distracting. So, uh, anyways, so we brought you on because you have a very interesting niche of uh, like research that you have going on right now, and mm-hmm. you're a very active graduate student. You're a very uh, your go getter is how I perceive Sarah Steele in the department, okay. which is r- literally just everything that you would ever want in like a colleague and a peer. Mm-hmm. So. Sarah, I'm just going to let you just go ahead and introduce yourself just a little bit. Tell us where you're from, who you are, and then go into your research. So what do you like to study? What do you, You're pre-dissertation right now, correct? Yes. Okay, very cool. So um, I'm originally from Tennessee, but I lived in Florence for a long time and 
Florence, Alabama. Florence, Alabama. Not Italy. Just I like know. Italy. I wish yeah. it were Florence, Italy. I will also live in oh, Florence, Alabama. Florence. Ah, Florence. Yes. <laughs> but I, love, I love Florence, Alabama. My family's from there, so I really like it there myself. They have I, the Florence Handy is beautiful. Festival. I love yes, Florence. The, w, the WC Handy Festival is in I know. Florence because oh, yeah. he is right. from Florence, I guess. Uh, Muscle right. Shoals area. Yeah, mm-hmm. Muscle Shoals yeah. area, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I got my BA in Spanish, mm-hmm. and I did my MA in pre-K um, through 12 education. And about the time that I got done with my MA, I realized I didn't like working with children. <laughs> so I decided... That'll do it. Yeah. So I ended up getting a job teaching ESL at the university level. And then after teaching ESL for a year, they moved me to the Spanish department, taught there for a year. And then I decided that I wanted to go back to school and get my PhD. So here I am today. Well, here you are. Great. Awesome. So tell me just a little bit about the research that you're currently working on. So you're... Or what you're expecting to do okay. in yeah. the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm more inclined to the sociolinguistic or really anthropological linguistic research. Um, and what I kind of want to focus on is the language attitudes. So okay. The, so the attitudes that people have, what they think language is, what they think language can do, how they view speakers of other languages, and how that impacts their choices. Kind of meshing these concepts of language attitudes and language contact. Okay. So you know, you come you come <clears throat> with a with attitudes about language and about attitudes about people who speak certain languages. Well, when you come into contact with someone of the other language, it either reinforces or reformulates your attitudes mm-hmm. towards that language. Okay. And so it influences the the choices that you make with regards to whether you decide to consciously come in contact again in the future with those languages or to stay away from them, okay. I guess, more or less. That's really interesting. I really like that idea of attitudes towards the speakers and then what all is what all goes behind that and what so are you looking at it from more of like an SLA uh, perspective? Are you looking at it more as in like language contact? Like what what route do you see Sarah Steele taking? Well, Sarah Steele. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the direction I see myself going is it has to do with the foreign language classroom, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have anything to do with SLA, if that makes sense. Okay. Because, um, you know, when you come into a classroom, the teachers and the students have attitudes about language. They have attitudes about the people who speak those languages and what happens within the classroom affects when they go outside of the classroom, whether they choose to continue with languages or that they could choose to, you know, the attitudes they have about, about other languages. And so this is very or- unorthodox, I realize, but I want to look at what happens in the four language classroom from a non-pedagogical okay. standpoint. That's really interesting. Yeah. So if you don't mind me asking, where did you get the inspiration for such a project that so, you got going on over there? It's very interesting to me. When... Whenever I tell somebody what I do, that I speak, you know, another language and that I teach languages, I get a very similar response. Um, Either I wish I had learned a foreign language or Mm -hmm. I wish I had continued studying a foreign language. And I really don't understand how I get that response because I'm like, well, okay, well, if you wish you had and if you wish you could continue, then why don't you? Yeah. There's got to be something that's happening for you to think that it's not as important for you to continue studying a language. So every time that um, someone asks me what I do for a living and I tell them that I know another language and then I teach languages, mm-hmm. they either tell me, oh, that's so cool, my life would be so much better, my, I could get more, uh, a better job, or I wish I had continued studying languages. And it yeah. made me start thinking, well, why don't people 
study languages. Yeah, I mean, that's see, that's the thing that I love about SLA. No matter who you talk to in this world, they will say, oh, I wish I spoke, blah, 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 blah. For whatever motivation, it is always very unique to the person. Like, why would they want to be interested in Spanish? Some people are interested in Japanese. But the thing of that is, is they can say that they wish they had learned another language, but really not mean it. Because yeah, it's the, thing to, it's the yeah. thing to say, oh, I wish I could speak another language, but do they really mean it or do they not mean it? Well, they like the idea they of like being able to speak another language, like but a, the work to get there is very yeah. cumbersome. It's, like a, it's like kind of like a thing, an idea, like a fantasy of who they ought to be. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, how has your transition, so you've already completed your master's mm-hmm. and you had it at a separate institution, then you took some time off and you decided to come back. Mm-hmm. And it's really inspiring to me that the master's program didn't destroy you. <laughs> you know? Said Rabia, she's about to embark on a PhD program. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, you know, because you hear a lot of people, they, they stop at the master's because they've had it, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. they, and they're, that's enough for them. But, you know, you went out into the field and then being out in the field teaching ESL, teaching Spanish at the mm-hmm. university level inspired you to come back. So was it more interaction with those college students or with college students taking Spanish or teach, taking English as a second language, did that kind of help with the motivation or was that just kind of complementary to your main goal? I think one thing that helped me go come back and do my, my PhD is the fact that I did take two years off mm-hmm. to work instead of going straight into my PhD because I could see how that would be right. really taxing on you. And so taking those a couple of years off really helped. And I really just wanted, even though my MA is in education, I kind of fell into education by mistake, really? <laughs> to be honest with you, yeah, <laughs> uh, because I was going to go to law school, and, um, oh, you know, yes, education, and law school, school. okay, yeah, um, kind of, that's uh, really cool, you got lost, <laughs> <laughs> and then she found herself, oh, uh, you got lost, and then you found yourself in linguistics, that's interesting, yeah, so, so I did my MA in education, but then I was like, I really love linguistics, and I really want to get some, some experience in that, and mm-hmm. so, instead of doing an MA in linguistics, I thought, why well, not just do my PhD, and and see where that takes me and okay so yeah if i'm not mistaken you're currently working on a research project with the like the anthropological linguist here linguistic uh, anthropologist oh linguistic anthropologist yes. look at me trying to look at, look at me <laughs> linguistic anthropologist. learning every single day anyways uh so so can you just tell us a little bit about that project like what is what are you doing as a graduate student working with a professor? Because typically, linguistic anthropology is not necessarily always readily available for every single department. And so, it's for me, I've never taken a linguistic anthropology class. So have you guys taken? No. Not a class explicitly on it, but I'm sure we've all touched upon yeah, we've, know, themes that yeah. apply to it. Right? Yeah. So, can you just tell me about your experience with that? Like, was it, what is it like jumping into research with the guidance of a professor? So last semester I took linguistic anthropology. It was the first first anthropology course I'd ever taken, and I, I really had very little background in anthropology. But one of the things I liked about it is I'm a qualitative person, and linguistic anthropology is all about qualitative. And mm-hmm. <laughs> Bowden yeah, is a it. fan. Um. Bowden is the qualitative man. So Ooh, that rhymed. Okay. So I like qualitative uh, methods, <laughs> and um, and that's in linguistic anthropology. They have a lot of that, and it's similar to sociolinguistics, but it, it's a little different in some ways. So I took linguistic anthropology. I loved it. This semester, I'm taking ethnography of communication, and we had to do um, a research project where we went in to to record naturally occurring speech 
and we had to do some presentations on that. And so I went into a foreign language classroom and did kind of what I was saying earlier is I mm-hmm. looked at how language is used, really not even language, but how communication is used. And so linguistic and non-linguistic communication, mm-hmm. how it's used from a non-pedagogical standpoint. So okay. taking out, you know, the the stuff that I got, you know, I could I could analyze it from a pedagogical and SLA standpoint all day long, but I want to see what's going on above and beyond that. And so I equate it to the foreign language classroom being an ecosystem. Okay. And so this ecosystem requires certain things to be able to sustain itself and to be able to thrive. Mm-hmm. And so how does communication lead in that direction? So I'm looking at effective stance. So it's basically this concept where people make conscious decisions to use language in such a way that it achieves a purpose. Mm. Okay. So Sarah, the thing that interests me the most is that you are a very, you're you're a very active graduate student. You're constantly thinking about the next steps. And I think that that comes with the fact that you've had a lot of experience out in the quote unquote real world where you were an educator, you have a master's degree, you had time in between master's and now PhD program. But also, I think that it's just a reflection of how mature you are as a graduate student as well, that you are constantly thinking about, what do I want to be as a researcher? Like, where do I fit in? So for me, for example, I went through this process. And for everybody, it's different. For me, it was kind of like, well, I like this. I like that. I like everything. I could just study everything and be just perfectly fine with it. But then you have to like narrow it down. You have to pick SLA. Right. You have to pick whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. So you're in that stage. And I think mm-hmm. that it would be very beneficial to have a conversation <clears throat> about what's going on with that right now. Because next year you'll be defending your proposal. You're coming up on these things. And the summer is really dedicated to that. So tell me tell me about that process for you. To explain it to, explain it to, to everybody, if you will. Okay. So with my MA... Uh, because it was an education, we didn't do a lot of research. Okay. I pumped out lesson plans like it was nobody's business. So the transition from MA to PhD was really kind of a culture shock because I had never done, um, I mean, I'd written a few research papers. You know, mm-hmm. you go get a couple of books out of the library and you do a research topic, but I'd never really done research, research, like I guess. Like Formal. generated. Yeah. Right. Yes, generated research. And so. And especially nothing applied. Right. Yeah, nothing applied, yeah. And so I went from writing lesson plans to being told, hey, you're going to write a 200-page dissertation in four years. And so... Mm-hmm. Well, if you're lucky, it'll be... T- <laughs> <laughs> For some people in qualitative research, it can be 300 pages. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So so I started out last semester in the program just kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I didn't have a whole lot of expectations about finding the topic I wanted to choose, but taking linguistic anthropology and this semester taking ethnography of communication... I've narrowed it down some, you know, I, I know, I know I don't want to do, um, like syntax or anything like that. I know really? <laughs> we have so much fun oh. in that class. I do You're have fun in syntax. Well, no, she's Robin in class with loves me. syntax. I love syntax. I do have fun syntax. In syntax is great. We have I'm not good at it, but syntax is great. I do. I'm, I'm all right with Let syntax. Let me tell you, I've taken how many classes with you now? Three? Because two, two this semester. Oh, three, yeah. And then last semester. Sarah Steele is a fiend at Sarah anything Steele. that she does. She's a fiend? Syntax, sociolinguistics. She's a syntax fiend? Is that what you want to describe? She's a syntax superhero. She's she is. Sarah Steele. Oh, alliteration. Um, I like it. 
But sociolinguistic, sociophonetic, syntax, she has so many hats. So but I do not want to wear the hat of syntax forever. Just <laughs> <laughs> with Dr. K. I never want to leave. I don't never want to wear the hat of syntax. It was it was good to be in that class because mm-hmm. now I, when I'm reading stuff, I can know the terminology and I can know that's true. That's you know true. stuff like that. But it's not where I want my main area right. of research. Okay, so do you feel like your process started off with I know I don't want to do this? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean more I think, more so that way, mm-hmm. kind of process of elimination type thing. Okay. And so, with the process of elimination, you think that you're going to land with ling- uh, linguistic anthropology, right? Yeah, sociolinguistics, linguistic, linguistic anthropology, mm-hmm. um, in the area of language attitudes and language contact. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, somewhere in that general vicinity. And so, I'm hoping to, this summer, read a lot and do a lot of uh, soul searching. And <laughs> yeah, like, don't you guys, do you, do you guys have that, like, that one open window browser that's like that never your closes. Chrome, like your one Chrome window that's like haunts you. It's on that <laughs> one screen that's like all the way towards the end yeah. of your desktop, and it's like it's all the stuff that you should be reading, yeah. and it just starts piling up, and the tabs get like smaller, microscopic. Smaller. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And oh man, that thing is it's I have I have nightmares. About Do you know how thing. great it feels when you close that thing? Oh my gosh, Bodhi has true. triggered himself. That's true. But yeah, I've, that's something that I always have trouble with is like actually sitting down and just actually doing the reading that you're supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So one thing that I did is I, I made a Google, in my Google Drive, made a Google Doc. Mm-hmm. And everything that I wanted to read, when I, so when I would read an article, I'd go to the reference page. And if I found any articles in there that I wanted to read, I would go find them and I would download them and I put them in a folder. Mm-hmm. I have like a thousand folders on my Google Drive of things that I want to read. Right. But, but that level of organization is why she is my personal superhero. I like need that. she is just so <laughs> on top of it. I need that. So, so it is overwhelming, but to me, it helps to categorize stuff and put it in folders mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. If, I, I feel like if it's in a folder, I've at least done something with it. She's yeah. done something. So <laughs> every no, every time you read an article, go ahead and cite it. I mean, right? You know, that, just I've, make that citation. Yeah, and then just share it. See, there, there's y'all, <laughs> and then there's me with my piles of destroyed. Actual no, like yeah, I like that like, too. <laughs> like I aspire to that. I have you one. Did really I don't well do last it. I don't that. do it every time. I but remember that that binder you had of it though. Brilliant. Yeah, but very well organized. The binder got big. Wow, it's that is really, so intense. But it's really beneficial. Because me, how I work, I'm just like, I go by sections, and I'm just like, okay, I need to have an entire section dedicated on self-efficacy, so I work on that section for, like, weeks. And I'm not creating, like, stuff before the dissertation. I'm just, like, seeing where the dissertation will take me. You mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about? Like, it because every single meeting that I've ever had with a committee member it's always like veered off the route that I'd already originally planned and if you don't have your dissertation idea then you don't know which way you're going you're kind of like shooting in the dark you know what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. that's why I was kind of like I did not do that at all. Right. So <laughs> you both are already off to like a better (laughs) Well I mean I think if you kind of have an idea Mm -hmm. then you start a and all these articles and then even if you do veer off mm-hmm. you know. I guess that's true I was just thinking about like what I was doing and I did not do anything like that maybe I'm just like the most disorganized disheveled I mean it's actually very li- it's not that much work at all you just read like, like instead of reading and like highlighting and doing all of this like stuff you just type it into a form and save it well and I then, don't do that and then if you're looking for like say self-efficacy you just control Search. F mm-hmm. 
self-efficacy and you find all of your articles in one document, yeah. you already have your citation, you already have a link to it, you already have all the information is there. You can read the you can read the abstract, you can read the conclusion. See, that's you what can I aspire read. to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> See, that sounds like very, me too. very, very advanced level of an organization that I do not have. It's almost disheartening in a way because I'm like, I did not do that. The more you do beforehand, the less... <laughs> You have to do that. I just don't. Be, I don't believe that that's true with a dissertation, though. I think that you will always have to. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't think that there's any kind of level of organization that's going to help you prepare for a dissertation. It's going to be miserable either way. Yeah, like, <laughs> but maybe that's just because I've never been incredibly organized like that. I've never yeah. been able to like put all my documents into this one. I mean, yeah. at least at least the stuff that they told me or that the people have advised me to do my professors and because I'm, I'm in my first year of my PhD mm-hmm. program and they have all said this is a practice of people who when they get to the dissertation stage that have everything together, mm-hmm. this is a practice that they all, this is something that they all have in common that they do. So if you can try to do that, then hopefully it will also benefit you. I, well, I just, I can't do things, so a strength, I think, of both of Sarah and Bowden is that they can work with things on the computer. I can't look at things on the computer for more than 10 minutes. I had to yeah. adjust. So I, I have to, to adjust. print everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's not going to be... I had to adjust because I just, I, I kind of got to a point where I was just like, I don't want to print anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just not going to do it. And so I use EndNote mm-hmm. and I have, and so that, but right. I mean, it works for me. So I'm thinking maybe I'll just computer. use my iPad to keep all my documents because that's what I used to do in undergrad. Mm-hmm. So that may be an option. Yeah. But, um... That was really interesting th- that you do that. That yeah. was really, I didn't know you did that. That's mm-hmm. really cool. I'm going to probably redirect this in a second because I would really like to ask you a question about your <laughs> master's. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just to let you know. Oh, okay. All right. All okay. right. So now that you've completed your first year of the PhD program here at UA, mm-hmm. I would really appreciate myself going into a PhD program. What have you found to be different or similar, rather, between the program that you've embarked on here and then the program you just completed at UAB? I think a lot of it has to do with differences in fields. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's right. You know, right. education is, is very different than linguistics. Even though they're similar, they're also different. The, but it's still grad school. I right. mean, you know, it's still, you have to study a ton. You have to read a lot. You have to, um, you know, be able to, to be organized and you have to uh, not procrastinate. So, well... <laughs> crap. (laughs) (laughs) We need to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So welcome back, guys. We've had a fantastic conversation with Sarah today. Sarah Steele. Sarah Steele. <laughs> Stop dabbing, Bowden. Stop. <laughs> I can't help it. That brings us to the last part of our show, which is the portion that we call lessons learned. So, Sarah, you've had you've had experience in graduate school, and now you've you're in a PhD program. Well, what's something that you've learned that would be beneficial for you if you could go back and do that? I have two things. Is that okay? Oh, oh. yeah, she came prepared. <laughs> so the, Sarah Steele. So the, Sarah Steele. The first thing that I would say is to not put things off. Mm-hmm. So when I first started grad school, even in undergrad, and when I first started grad school, I would wait until not night the before. last minute, night but before. yes, the night before to do stuff. And I'm the type of person where I, I get stressed out kind of easy and I don't I don't like to do things last minute. 
And so I had to learn pretty early on that the more you do now, the less you have to do later. And the more that you do early on in the semester, the, the less hectic the end of the semester will be. So that was one thing I learned is to, to do, you know, this is kind of cliche, but never put off for tomorrow, which you can do today. <laughs> so I can hear my mom saying that to me every single day. Anyways. If you all didn't know, the Gradlings will be se- uh, selling inspirational posters. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the second thing I would say is, and this is kind of paradoxical or maybe opposite of the first thing I said, is, um, and I might get some weird looks from this, but it's okay to say no to things. No, you're not I've getting heard, weird I've books. I've actually heard that before, yeah. It's okay, cause, because my first year, I wanted to do everything. Mm-hmm. I wanted to yeah. be part of everything. I wanted to do everything. I tried to, to be everything for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I got really burnt out, and I and I didn't didn't like the way that I was conducting myself at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I had to realize that it's okay to say no to things. You mm-hmm. don't need to say no to everything, but you need to say no to, to the things the things that are not as important Mm -hmm. because I would rather be really good at two or three things than be bad at 10 things. Right. And so it's okay to say no to things. And I personally take one day each week where I don't do any work. Oh, that's nice. I don't check my emails on Sundays. I don't do work on Sundays. I spend time with my husband. Sundays are a day for worship and rest for us. And so I don't Mm -hmm. do anything on Sundays. Yeah. And so it causes you to do more during the week. Right. It causes you to have to be more organized during the week. But having that one day off every week mm-hmm. is, is awesome. And you look forward to it, right? Yeah. I, bet. And I may do that because... It's like Sundays are for the fam. Yeah. There yeah. is nothing worse than the grief and... Stop dabbing. And there's, <laughs> there's nothing worse than the guilt of not working on your dissertation. Like, I took Saturday of this mm-hmm. past week, just like what you said, and I... I felt terrible. You're but bad at taking time off. I think that's your kryptonite. My kryptonite is I have to work every single day. But your kryptonite is trying to take I think time off. I think you're in a toxic relationship with your <laughs> dissertation. We need to. No, my dissertation loves me and I love it back. It's just we want to just spend all of our time together and we don't want to spend time with anything else. I've heard that. That sounds like a story at a grad student shelter. That really? I was, <laughs> I was like, I think because I've been binging a little bit lately, but I thought I was just immediately like, oh, Law and Order SVU. I was like, ding, ding. <laughs> Like a law and order, like the background music. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the last thing, and we're not going to let you get out of this because everybody's done it so far. Everyone loves doing this. Everybody loves doing this part. And she's hip. And she's hip. She's cool. She's Sarah Steele. Ooh, I like that. Uh, Stop (laughs) dabbing. Everybody's dabbing in the air. You know what? I I, I can't. I've never dabbed in my entire life until today. (laughs) You chose this moment to get started. Sarah, we always ask our guests if they can provide a hashtag Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of summarizes their experience so far. It can be like a summary of your experience or maybe some recommendation or whatever. For example, my hashtag is hashtag what W-U-T because I always feel like that's... What's going on? What? <laughs> what? What's happening? What? What? Uh, what? <laughs> what would you say your hashtag is, Sarah Steele? Hmm. Hashtag work-life balance. Hashtag work-life balance. Hashtag work-life balance. Work-life balance. That's good. I like it. Yeah. Very sturdy. Very Sarah Steele-esque. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Sarah, I gotta say, you have been a phenomenal guest. We're really looking forward to seeing how you evolve as a researcher, as a teacher, as a coordinator. Congratulations Yay, again. We're gonna have you back. Yeah, I think yeah. that we should have her back. Oh, I wanna man. see her process. Prolong. Do could, we need an IRB yeah. for this? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, this is definitely God, not. I hope not. <laughs> Sarah, welcome to Sarah Seal. Welcome to the Gradlings family. We're really excited to see your progress and your growth over the years, and we cannot wait to have you back. And I cannot wait to come back. Well, like a year from now. Yeah, Sarah Steele, one year later. Ooh. We need to get you like during your PhD exams. I want to know what you have to say during that. <laughs> hey, here. remember what I said? Number two recommendation: it's okay to say no. That's what she said. Okay, no. <laughs> you need to learn what to not say no to as well as a graduate student. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just, Sarah. I just wanted to say thank you so much again for coming on. You have thank been you, an Sarah. amazing Sarah guest, Steele. Sarah Steele. And we have a theme song, a, a, like a slogan, and a dance for you. Now. And um, the kryptonite. Yeah. I'm dabbing. <laughs> Jeez. Don't tell everyone about my kryptonite. All right. We'll try not to, except for this is going to be live oh, public. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> uh, guys, don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms, such as Twitter. The Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram. The Gradling everything. Podcast. All of them. We have a Snapchat. We do not. There's no need. But, wow. have, you, but have you seen the Snapchat update? I'm Season sure three. all of our listeners will agree. Season three. Good. Stay tuned. See you. Bye. It's hard for me to get social cues, believe it or not. I would have never guessed that. You're a superhero. You are. Well, this is my trip tonight. Oh! We found it. We found it.